welcome to the American Scouser podcast. What a week and what an episode we have for you today. Uh, there's a lot to unpack, a lot to cover, so we'll get started right away. Uh, let's get the introductions out of the way first. Uh, Mr. Peacock over here, head of Divac Origi fan club and eating soup from a pot is Mr. Bickler. What's going on, Paul? You got it, man. That's just me eating soup from a pot. It's going to be a, a nice... And bubbly podcast, I'm sure, considering the recent events. Yeah, bowls of plates are overrated. Uh, so, <laughs> and also with us is Irish Jamie, not eating soup, but drinking wine or something like that. Is... Drinking wine from a shoe. There we oh, go. That's, yeah, there you go. <laughs> is Jamie with us? What's going on, Jamie? Well, um, listeners, you can't see, but I'm wearing my all blacked out Liverpool shirt because we're in mourning. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's a lot to get to. So we'll start with football stuff first. That's the good fun stuff. But before we even get to that, I just want to kind of give you guys a quick heads up on kind of like what's coming your way this week on American Scouts because there's a lot happening. Uh, so first off, uh, tomorrow we'll have actually uh, we'll be recording a special edition of the podcast. Uh, we'll have our guest with us, uh, David Jennings. And we'll kind of talk about a lot more about the. Uh, this whole Super League and stuff like that and the financial side of things, throw some numbers and information out there because there's a lot of panic and all that kind of stuff going on, which we'll touch on definitely today because it's almost like impossible not to. Uh, we'll, but we'll be able to go a lot more in depth uh, on that special episode podcast. Uh, speaking of Jennings, we have his article coming up this Wednesday. Uh, we have Rich Kramer's first ever post coming up in our humor category. He's a pretty funny dude, but I don't want to vouch for him until we see the uh, so. But that will be coming out on Thursday. Uh, and uh, we're actually also revamping our map for the website. So hopefully when this goddamn COVID thing goes away and um, when everybody is able to go back to the bars, they'll know where to go and where to party and where to root for Liverpool, whether it's in the Premier League, Champions League, Super League, League of Legends, wherever it may be, they'll be like rooting for him. <laughs> so let's start with our usual... Uh, the Liverpool news in 60 seconds. Good luck doing that, Jamie, this week. And go. Yeah, instead of the 60 seconds, we're just going to make it six. Um, we <laughs> Monday, folks, time of recording. Um, as everybody knows, we just had an 87th-minute equaliser to Leeds um, to further complicate our, our LFC hearts. Um, of course, the under-23s played as well today. They got a Drew against Blackburn. Goals from Woodburn and Clarkson in there. Uh, so draws all around. And, of course, getting to the news that everybody's already heard of. It's the ESL. The 12 European elite teams have announced the agreement to establish the, the midweek competition. AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juve, Arsenal, Chelsea, City, United, Liverpool, Spurs, Atletico, Barca, and Real. So I'm pretty sure we'll get talking about that at some stage today. But there we go. A, sh a short one. Yeah, I figured we will go league by league today <laughs> and then cover everything along the way. So we'll start with the Champions League. Uh, then we'll kind of like touch up on the Premier League. Obviously, talk about today's game, and then we'll kind of uh, talk about how that affects our Champions League chances if we're still in the Champions League and all that good stuff. Uh, but before then, it's time for me to stop you guys with the question, uh, the trivia question of the week. So today we had James Milner playing, uh, and he is 
Actually, he actually, I thought he did very well and he was really like a good physical presence in midfield, but that's a different story. We'll get back to that. And, and at 35 years, if I, I can't, if I could run half of what he can, I would want nothing at 35, but the dude is unreal for his age. He's 35 years old. So here's the question for you guys this week. Who was the oldest player to play as a Liverpool player? What age were they would be the bonus, but who's the player that was the oldest when they played as a Liverpool player? Uh, Milner is sixth right now on that list, but about to be fifth. So I take it we're doing all all Liverpool's history, not just all Liverpool's history. Yes. All Liverpool's history. Who was the player that played wearing the Jersey as the oldest player? Jamie, we'll start with you. I would say during certainly my lifetime, my period, I would say Gary McAllister. He's got to be up there. Um, oldest player in history. That's a tough one. I, I could throw a stab. Hey, at least I'll give you guys this. It's in our lifetime. So I'm not asking for some dude that played, you know, in like the early 40s or something like that. So it's not that tricky of a question. It is in our lifetime. We, we watch this dude. Right. That's a that's a great question you've managed to come up with. Then I guess it's what I do every week, buddy. I'd say Guy McAllister's in the top five. Oh, That's what I'm sticking with. McAllister's a good shout, although he looked old when he was like 24. Um, That's the whole balding thing. I can speak on yeah. personal accounts. Yeah, yeah. it definitely adds years. <laughs> I can't. I'm, you know, the back, like the realistic, like the smart side of me. I know there's there is a small smart side of me, but it. It's uh, so like we it would, hear, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would be some sort of like second or third string goalkeeper, right? But the only one that I can think of is Ricky Lambert. Like he's got to be up there. Like we got him that at the sale. Yeah. Uh, I'll say Ricky Lambert, although I don't think that's it. I think there's somebody probably older. No, he's not. But that's a good shot, actually, from like recent history. That's probably in terms of looking at the recent history. Yeah, that's probably like one of the most recent ones, but. Well, we'll keep the suspense going and then talk about some Champions League first. But yeah, see, every week I'm going to find something. That's my promise. Um, <laughs> so uh, Champions League matchup. I don't want to go too detailed into the game. There are other wounds to lick today. Uh, so we'll kind of like go over that. But before even the game, so it's the I kind of want to talk about this because we kind of chatted about it on our Discord channel. And I've seen some posts online that I just cannot comprehend. But uh, so the Madrid team comes over and obviously the fans, you know, trying to intimidate or create an atmosphere and stuff, which I'm totally OK with that part, I guess. But uh, so, you know, throwing stuff at the bus and all that kind of like similar to the, the whole city ordeal we had before they break like some windows and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to get your guys take on where you guys stand with that. So, Jamie, let's start with that. You're probably the most hooligan out of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you're probably right. Uh <laughs> I come from Northern Ireland, folks, where we like to throw lots of things at lots of things. Um, <laughs> if, if, you, if you have been paying attention to the international news, Northern Ireland, my home country, is literally a flame right now. They're rioting, literally burning double-decker buses. They're, there's riots in the streets. Um, and it's not about the European Super League. Um, all jokes aside, 
it's, they don't uh, have their priorities straight. <laughs> <laughs> All jokes aside, it's it's a you know it's football at the end of the day. You you can't do that. It's football. Look, and I'm all for uh, a lively atmosphere, Welcome, welcoming the fans into a cauldron of, of it may be verbal abuse, but I, I don't like to see violence. Take, take a look at Sean Cox, my countryman, an Irishman who was at the Napoli game, and I think the, the Italians nearly killed him. Um, was it the Napoli game or... I can't was it remember. Roma? I thought it was Roma. Maybe it yeah, was Roma. You're right. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just have to cast your mind back to the to the sort of to the days before COVID and just, you know, these sorts of things happen in football and it, it shouldn't. It's disgusting. Um, you know, there's there's the good side of of going to rivalry games and stuff like that, like even the, the Tottenham uh, Champions League final, like there was good stories of like Liverpool and Tottenham fans drinking before the game and this, that and the other. Like you want to hear more stories like that, but it's not trying to fucking injure the, the team bus. You know what I mean? It Luckily it was, it's double sided glass and, and everything like, cause uh, you just hate to see that. And if it, if it was one of our, if, if it happened to our bus, we'd be up in arms, you know? Um, so I totally get the the sort of gang mentality, the sort of, it, it can easily boil over and all it takes is one idiot um, to ruin it and and just take a look at what happened. You know, it, it's deplorable. How about you, Paul? I mean, I think more shocking than, <clears throat> I mean, I guess it's happening is, Sadly, not as shocking because, like Jamie says, we do see this stuff here and there. Uh, but I, I guess I was more shocked that has some people kind of like downplayed it. And I go back to what, again, like what Jamie's saying, I don't think we would downplay it if it happened to our team. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with, with everything Jamie said. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think it does take just one idiot. And I'd like to think in this case, that's what it was. Um, but yeah, I think what's concerning is sort of the social media reaction in general whereas like i didn't think that like there was as much like admonishment or as much like uh shame embarrassment uh us distancing ourselves from that behavior as i would have liked to see online uh, i think some of it goes back from the fact that like when we did a similar thing versus city city said they were intimidated by that and I think that played a little bit of a part in the way that people reacted. Uh, but it's just disappointing, man. Like anybody who knows me knows that I'm, I'm up for a bit of mischief um, in that uh, I, I dabble in the fine arts of tomfoolery. But like my problem is, is that like we can't sit here and talk about how you know, we're the best fans in the world. We create an unbelievable atmosphere. We ooze class, all this stuff, and then act like an Eastern European team. Like you just can't do that. Like you, it, it's, it's super hypocritical. Um, it's, it's just disappointing in general, man. I mean, I'm all for getting out there and hanging from balconies and lighting off flares and doing all that stuff and shouting and stuff. But once you start damaging property, um, I just think, I think you're really just damaging your own reputation in a way that I think it, it, it's, is kind of a stain on Liverpool in terms of our, our actual um, reputation as a fan base and 
honestly, I don't know how much that does. Like, I don't believe that that's really intimidating. In fact, in fact, if anything, I was worried that it pissed the Real Madrid team off. That didn't need to be pissed off when we played them. I would have rather they came in and been asleep at the wheel. And I think all we did was sort of rattled the cage. Yeah, I think I read Valverde. I mean, obviously, it kind of like pissed them off and they wanted to, you know, they wanted to kind of like get it back on the pitch, which, you know, we would want our boys to do it. Look, I understand and I do agree. I know some people think, you know, it doesn't affect them, but I mean, they're human. They will be affected. Uh, I mean, teams can be intimidated. I mean, I know, I mean, I jokingly said, you know, like Jamie is probably the most hooligan out of us, but I mean, I grew up in freaking Turkey and, you know, yep. Mediterranean fans are probably by the worst uh, compared to like, you know, British fans or something like that. But it, I mean, there is something to be said. I mean, I'm a Fenerbahce fan growing up as a kid and I know it's can, they can create like a ridiculous atmosphere. And I've told, I know I've seen like interviews done with, you know, players like who play for Galatasaray, for example. I mean, quick story where they were like, you know, Fenerbahce had them for like 10, 12, 15 years or whatever in a row that they would never beat Fenerbahce at their home ground. Because it's like a ridiculous atmosphere anyway, but it's kind of psychologically like we can never beat these guys. But I remember the players saying like the stadium was so freaking loud that they felt like the earth shaking, like the pitch was shaking. They felt like as they were playing and part of that is nervousness and stuff like that. So you can affect players with, you know, sound, yelling, screaming, whatever. But I think when it becomes physical and more like a freaking assault for God's sakes, and that's where you kind of like draw the line. And I know some of these guys are like over the top um, with like the violence and kind of like take the whole hooligan thing. So, and I, not only, I think Liverpool fans, I think overall, when you ask fans of other sports, especially, you know, us here being in the U S they kind of consider it like freaking crazy and psychotic behavior, which I guess partially it is. I know some of it comes from the passion because it's these sports, but Either way, I don't think it works, first of all, when the physical assault part happens, because I would think it pissed them off more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you only have to take a look at what Margaret Aspinall said. You know, a figurehead of the club. Um, we spoke about her last week with the, the Hillsborough support group uh, closing. She came out and, and said, you know, that they were cards. They, it, it brings our, our club into disrepute, like Paul said. It's 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 terrible it's not it's not what we want to see and and like i said i hope it's one idiot because that's all it takes in in my experience you know for for a situation to get out of control but you know when somebody like margaret aspinall is saying you're a disgrace you're not you're not one of our fans if this is what you're up to then you know you need to take a serious look at yourself you know because it's it's that's that's abuse that's uh that's actual bodily harm if that brick kind of went through the window and hit somebody in the head i mean what the hell are we talking about then you know like you know we all hate ramos but the the last thing i'd like to see is well maybe not i'll take that back i was, <laughs> I was gonna I'll, say now you're I'll going through an extreme i'll just stop there <laughs> yeah i mean like i say it's just i think it's very simple and basic for all three of us over here to say it's wrong i think what I thought was more shocking or wrong is that the response to it was not as strong. Like Bickler is saying, I, I think I find that shocking because it should be, if you want it out of the game and if you're not approving of it, you're not approving of it regardless of who's doing it. And you should overreact even more when it's your fan 
uh, compared to, you know, like coming from everybody else. Because like Jamie was saying, if it happened to us, we'd be going apeshit right now. So, but we didn't go apeshits and we are out of the Champions League. So, like I say, I of the game because it feels like it's been ages now. Maybe, I don't, like I said, I don't know why. I don't think we had as much of a belief going into it in some ways, perhaps, even though it was very achievable and really we did not play as well as we should. But in a few sentences, gentlemen, how would you guys sum up this entire round with Real? Bickler, let's start with you. Uh, <clears throat> summed up for me is we lost it in leg one by making a really, really uh, terrible lineup mistake. Um, I think we got, like, we just juked ourselves, man. Like, I think we overthought it. I don't know why Navi ever made that lineup. I don't know why we dropped Bobby. Um, I just never agreed with that lineup going in. <clears throat> and we got caught out. Like, we got caught out. I think um, I had some minor disagreements with the second leg lineup. I think down two goals, I would have put in Thiago, even though he hasn't done much. He does create. He does have the best vision in the side. Uh, I understand the argument for Milner being there. That's just not what I would have done. Um, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can say that all I want. Um, I also think, uh, you know, I just I don't I don't get the substitution still. I don't understand taking off our best defender and shoving Fab back there. I know it was desperation time. I just don't get it. Um, let's see what else. I think. Uh, I think the problem with this team is through injuries and through COVID and through a number of problems with form, Sadio included, we're finding out that what we thought was a fully loaded team is really pretty thin because I think the reason that we're not seeing Jota hit that starting lineup is, is that if you start Diago and Jota, what are you doing? What are you bringing off the bench? Do you know what I mean? Like if you, if you're chasing that game, there's nothing to chase it with. And that's really scary considering what we spent and sort of what the expectation for that team is. Yeah, Paul's, you, really, Paul's really hit the nail on the head there, hasn't he? Um, I'll pick up the bits. Uh, just really pissed off. I feel like we could and possibly should have had them. I, I don't think we could or should. I think we had the – I think we could have – no, fuck that. We had the better of Real Madrid. We're a better team. I feel really let down um, that we're out of the Champions League because it would have been Chelsea next, and we all know how they like to get beaten by Liverpool in the, in the semi-finals in the Champions League. Yeah, I think that was the most disappointing part. I thought we had the easier lane to the final. Yeah, yeah. We we, I, I had it planned out. We were there. I was in the final in my mind, you know? We kind of blew it, and I honestly think we got hustled. Uh, we Probably. saw their center backs out. We were like, let's go get them, boys. And we kind of like came up with this goofy lineup. And kind of like Bickler says, I think we kind of overthought it. We were, we were finally getting a groove with a certain lineup, kind of like playing better, creating more chances and stuff like that. We kind of like uh, thought it, tweaked it too much, and it kind of like blew up in our face. And I agree. I do not think if this team lost to Bayern or – I don't know, like PSG or something like that. I might have said, you know what? We were outgunned. Like yeah. they had more than us because of our injuries. But I did not feel that we're real. And that's probably like the biggest. 
they had a lot of injuries too. And on the field, in terms of overall quality, we were better. But I do agree with Paul in terms of the substitutions coming in late and not making sense. And I think we see this over and over again, especially this year, that there is no plan B. And whether that's bringing a player or changing the style, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we just keep banging our head to the wall, but the result doesn't change. And we kind of unfortunately start game over game. And, and let's face it, like, regardless of the lineup, we still, I mean, <clears throat> first half, the second leg, I mean, we could have easily banged in three goals, right? But, mm-hmm. like, we talk about us making it harder than it needs to be to score. And, like, it's just exhausting, man. To me, the team needs a break. Klopp needs a huge break. He needs, like, a straight holiday and, and hit the reset button. He's going through a lot personally. Um, I've been critical of him this year because, like, to me – the form and mentality of this team is why we lost that. Um, I mean, I put it on the lineup first leg, right? It still could have been corrected and we still could have won it second leg, but we're missing easy shots. We're overcomplicating things on the attack. And I think that comes down to players who don't have any belief anymore. And I think that's really down to a 12 game stretch where we pigeonholed ourselves and decided that we were going to play our best midfielders for experience on a back line. And I think that disrupted an entire system. And once you disrupt the system and it becomes difficult and, and players start running into a wall and people keep like, you know, players see us routinely missing shots we normally make, that grades on you psychologically. And I think this team is so far in the gutter right now, psychologically from a mentality standpoint. And I, I honestly put that on Klopp's refusal to make a change when a switch needed to be pulled. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the – the lack of finishing is just mind-boggling. I mean, it's just, I mean, we know these guys, right? We've seen these guys. We know how they can finish, what they can do. And the things that we miss, like you're saying in that first half, for example, it's just mind-boggling. And it almost seems like there's some sort of a curse. There's something. It's just, I mean, obviously it's a combination of like confidence and many other things. But you would think when a player bangs in a couple of goals, they would kind of get out of that. But no, and sadly, which we're going to talk about next now, uh, we kind of saw a bit of it in today's game as well against Leeds. But there were like more factors to that, I thought, as well. But before we get to the Leeds game, let's give the answer to the trivia. The oldest player to play as a Liverpool player Uh-oh. was, in Old fact... man River. <laughs> Gary McAllister was the correct yes! answer. 37 years, 136 days. Gary Mack. Uh, Paul jo- The most recent one, obviously, was uh, after that was uh, after Milner was Carragher, who Milner is about to pass in like a week over here. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, uh, you had Ricky Lambert, who's ranks around like 12 or something like that, uh, out of the most recent ones. And actually, Adrian is in that uh, gang yeah. in the top 10 as well. I would um, safely say, though, that Ricky Lambert's probably the oldest striker we've had in 100 years. Maybe, maybe not 100 years, but at least 60. Oh, uh, man, hold on. I got to look now and see. And you are correct. None of the other ones are. Where was most of them? We have a lot of goalies and defenders. Where was Clavin in that? Oh, Clavin. Still doing oh, step overs. Still oh, doing step overs like... on the ball. 
he's always almost like down to like 20, 25 oh, really? and stuff like that. Yeah, he was he was 32. I was about to say only 32, oh. but that shows my age even freaking more. Uh, but yeah, he was 32 years young. Um, Lalana was 31 out of the recent. Uh, yeah, but you got it right. Gary McAllister. So I thought that was kind of uh, when I saw Milner out there, I was like running around all over the place. Um, I was like, man, how old is this guy? He just just keeps going. And I, when I looked at that, I was like, let me see if he's the oldest. And like I said, he's going to be going to the top five uh, next week, which I'm sure will be this season. So let's go to today's game. Uh, obviously, with no Phillips, we do the old dreaded Fabinho in the back line thing. Uh, but more importantly, probably more shocking, I would say, was Mo not starting. So, Jamie, let's start with you. How did you take that lineup when it first went up? Well, I had the distinct pleasure of working during it. So I had to listen to the LFC TV commentary. But, um, yeah, Mo not starting, I don't know, seemed to be... I don't know. I, I hate calling out Klopp for... for for his decisions, he knows a lot more than I do. But, you know, Paul has alluded to it all season, really. His his, um, his lineups and substitutions have, have kind of left a bit to think about afterwards. Um, so I don't know if the Madrid game really took it out of of us in, this, in the first and, and second half in particular. But... Um, it was mad. I mean, at least at least Mane got his goal. Really, you know that that justified him. Um, but of course, Mo when he came on, when we talk about the second half moving forward, back to those missed opportunities. You know, I just, I mean, let's face it. I mean, it's kind of a tough situation because I would have probably asked the reverse question if Mo started and Mane was on the bench. So I probably putting him in a no-win situation there. In that sense, I just wondered like. Uh, what you thought, then, Paul? In terms of, I mean, it's you know, a surprising one. It's a surprising one, right? But it, it it goes back to what I said. Like right now, this team, like, what are you bringing off the bench? Like, where's your spark? Like at this point, you know, Jota has basically played himself into the lineup. I mean, <clears throat> that was kind of our thing. We brought him off the bench. He banging a few goals, right? But I think like right now. Klopp views his directness and his sort of movement as something that has to be included in the side. You know, I'm a fan of Bobby still, despite what his form may say, you have to have that top line press, especially against Leeds. So Bobby's going to start. So that leaves you with an out of form Sadio Mane. So if you start Mo in place of Sadio Mane, what you have on the bench is basically five defenders, Nabi, Shakiri, and Sadio and Ox. Like that's depressing. It's 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 so fucking scary and sad. Like considering how much money and time we spent in sort of accumulating players that we thought would make a difference. Like, uh, as crazy as it was when that lineup card came out, the more I looked at the bench and thought about it, the more I understood. Like, all right, so we're gonna get thirty minutes of like full throttle mo into this game. I mean. Uh, especially against the Leeds team that's going to run you ragged, right? They're not a team that's going to pack eight in the box. They're going to open it up and they're going to run. So um, on its face, it looks crazy. The more you look at it, the more it makes sense, sense to me. But yeah. as with as with Liverpool strikers, as always, it always takes Mo Salah, it seems to be like 
five or six opportunities to to kind of get oh, one yeah. out from from out between his feet and, and get a shot on target. Like I, as I said, I didn't get to see the game, but I as I was listening, it sounded like he should have had a goal in the second half, right? Oh uh, yeah, there's there's a number of chances. I mean, we did that thing where it takes ten chances to get one, right? I mean. It's kind of our MO this year. There's a lovely ball over the top from Thiago that I thought Mo should have put away. There's a, just a number of chances that just, you know, just weren't happening. But that's just, like I said, man, I think that's down to a combination of fatigue and mentality right now. Um, and I put that on a, a January run of form that we just uh, put us in a tailspin. So how did our midfield perform, guys? Because like I said, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. See, I think... I do agree with Mo coming off the bench as opposed to Mane because I feel like Mo brings more impact off the bench than Mane does because we've seen Mane come off the bench several times and not be as effective. Uh, whereas, you know, we've seen Mo coming in like banging some goals and stuff like that before. In terms of midfield, and that's what, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what I was going to ask Ness. I thought the first half was good, um, but the moments that midfield started to drop and look very, very tired we just gave the game to Leeds because that's a team that physically can match up with us. And I hate to say it, they almost outlasted us in terms of the press and the running in midfield. They outlasted us. And that kind of probably goes back to what you're saying, Paul, is we didn't have anybody to bring off the bench to kind of like bring some fresh legs that will just fight just as much so we can keep protecting that midfield. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and credit to Leeds. Leeds, I mean, for those people that haven't really watched Leeds, they've been, they're a little up and down. Like, you never know what they're going to get. They'll come out and they'll, they'll shock some people and then they'll concede goals against a team they probably have no business conceding goals against. But they're loaded with super young talent. Phillips, which I think – I think Phillips is a Manchester City Academy kid still. Um, he went MLS and came back. He's super good. They've moved Stuart Dallas from the back line up front into, like, this – four-line midfield, and he's really quite good in terms of getting forward and defensively. And then they've got Harrison. Maybe I'm getting Phillips and Harrison confused. Maybe Harrison's the, the same. I think Harrison part. is, yes. Harrison, yeah. But, I mean, he's very talented. A number of really, really good uh, young players in that midfield that have got youth and legs um, and a lot of talent. So Leeds is no joke. I mean, and that's not to, that's not even starting it on, like, you know, Roberts and Bamford and Costin, which are all in their right, own right good attacking players that play up there. And they were missing Rafinha, which would have been, yeah. you know, like a nightmare on that wing. Yeah. And Bamford, you know, actually, was that last week or two weeks ago? It was the trivia question, the most yeah. big chances missed. And that's all I could think of while watching him today because he missed several of them today, yep. including the one in the first half and when he was one-on-one with the bad Fabinho pass. And then and he did hit the post and stuff like that too, but yeah. he did miss some clear chances. And I just felt like second half, we ran out of gas, gave him the midfield and the goal was coming. Honestly, it looked more like it was going to come from open play, not from set pieces. And I think we kind of hurts not having any heights in the middle as they kept loading that ball over and over again to the middle where, I mean, really Kabak is not that great in terms of like size and in the air. I thought he was really good in terms of pushing the ball up. And I think his long passing is getting better and better. He had some like sweet passes. He does fall in love sometimes though with pushing forward. And he did turn the ball over a couple of times after he, his, like, he was in the center time. forward position at one point today. I was listening to the commentary and it was fucking fantastic. Like I, for all those listeners out there who may be in the same predicament, 
I love listening to the LFC TV audio commentary because they're fantastic. They've they've been doing it for fifteen years, you know, and I, I've I've listened to these commentators for for the past you know fifteen years, literally. I've grown up or or barely grown up listening to them, and you know it. It's great. It's a certain sense of nostalgia, and it, it is biased. It's a biased commentary. It's Liverpool commentary, but it's so much more exciting. And I feel like the commentary you get from an audio description is so much better than a TV commentary because their job is to literally describe. Like it could be the most mundane effort on goal, and it's oh my god, oh my god, you know, like it, they have to inject that emphasis into their speech. And I love it, and it, it make it makes you feel like you're there watching it. Um, but yeah, there was a great moment where Kabak was pushing up through the midfield, and all of a sudden he finds himself at centre forward, and I, I just thought that was hilarious. I, I bust out laughing in the middle of work. Yeah, I thought he played well. I, I just want to say, since we're endorsing things, I just want to talk really quickly about how much I love Patrick Bamford, and that's that's really because. <laughs> He strikes me as a kid. He doesn't look like a footballer. He looks like a kid who comes from a family that wears a lot of Ralph Lauren that will sneak out of the house in the middle of the night, throw on a T-shirt, and slum it with the kids on the other side of town. That's why I really like Patrick Bamford. Like, I mean, he looks like a dude that comes from one side of the tracks but can get down with the other, and I dig that. That's funny because I was thinking the same thing. It looks like he should be playing polo or something. (laughs) (laughs) Am I mistaken, Timuchin, or is there a slight resemblance with Paul and Bamford? You know what? And when he said he was endorsing Bamford, I thought he was talking about the look, like he was really following that or something. Like that. So, <laughs> there's so a slight, he, there's a resemblance, isn't there? I'm so, like his drunk, dirty cousin. I mean, I, like, <laughs> he, he's just trying to go into his uh, Bamford money. He's trying to claim he's his like long lost brother or some shit, probably. But yeah, thank God he missed those chances, though. It definitely gave us a chance to be in there, but. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, so, Paul, I know, like, you know, you're especially more critical of, you know, Fabinho being pulled back. And with Nate being out, obviously, you know, we had finally found a good centre-back pairing that was used to playing each other. And I did not think, despite some stops, Fab did look out of place a few times. Would you have played, obviously, it's hindsight right now, but would you have rolled the dice with, like, Reese Williams over there or something like that again? I mean, or there's no like, way around it? I don't know, man. Like, you can't. <laughs> My thing with Reese Williams is he's so fucking slow, but then so is Nat. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. Like my thought was how shit is Davies, you know, like we bought him. We so have, I didn't even think of him because I totally forgot we bought him. We have to get three fucking points. Eh, we'll put fat back there. Like, I don't, I don't know. And that kind of like creates, you know, so we say, Hey, the bench doesn't look so good. Uh, and we didn't have anybody to bring, off the bench to that midfield. But if Fab is there, then you're probably bringing Thiago or maybe Milner off the bench right. to bring energy to that midfield. Right. I think I think critical lineup decisions, like errors in lineups, have impacted the way our bench looks for sure. It's a trickle-down effect. And like I said, like, man, dude, I love Jurgen as a guy. I think he's so good at what he does. It, but like, I think the shine of this guy as like a tactical magician is starting to wear off. And I, I, I like, it's been a trying year for everyone. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say like, you know, he's going through a lot of stuff personally and professionally. 
Um, but man, has there been some really questionable decisions. And I think it's all right to ask that. I think it's more about his system is more based off, well, the system, uh, as opposed to kind of like changing things, right. you know, playing the, like the mad scientists in a game and, you know, starting different people or, you know, like switching positions or something like that. I think it's more about repetition and doing what you do really well, whether it's, you know, counter pressing or whatever. Uh, so when there's so many pieces missing, I think we just, what is that freaking tape that patches up all the holes that leak? We just ran out of the freaking tape after a while and it just now is leaking all over the damn place. I mean, Thiago is supposed to be our plan B for people that pack the box, right? But I don't know if we ever had a plan B for teams that just drug the entire lineup wide so that we couldn't overlap, right? I mean, that's never been addressed. We still don't know what to do when we can't overlap. And like, so yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think there has to be a question of like, you know, is he a system manager? And if so, like, what tweaks to this system can we do to continue to evolve the team past the league that's adjusted to us just throttling them? Because that's well, what we did last year. We just throttled everybody. What What I will say is, to, to back Klopp up, I, I, I will say he, he hasn't done himself any duties. He hasn't done himself any, uh, any favors. But he also hasn't really been helped out by his players. Like, he was let down by Naby. He's been let down by a few of them. Like Ox hasn't been, Ox may as well not be there. He, he may as well leave. Um, you know, it, those are the players, and Jota as well. Those are the players that we have that can sort of circumnavigate when they draw it out wide, and we can't, we can't do the wide ball. We can't beat them round the back. So therefore, you drive straight through the middle. You need somebody who can who can carry the ball in the midfield and, and go straight through. Um, and link up with Bobby or whoever's up front, uh, i.e. Jota. Um, so, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, Paul. I do. I just, uh, fuck, you know, it, it's one of them fucking things where you've shot yourself in the foot already. We've we've drawn. We've, we're out of the Champions League. I, I just fucking hate. Yeah, I, I mean, hate, like, I don't I mean hate to giving be like... Stick, you know what I mean? I just, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, I mean, it's all Klopp's fault and like he's the one obviously dealt a bad hand and stuff, but I, and the lack of finishing, but is the chicken or the egg, you know, is the lack of finishing because of the other one or, you know, right. So, but in like, for example, you brought out Navi and, you know, the Champions League in the same sentence again. I put that totally on Klopp as opposed to Navi himself because I thought he was set to fail on that one. And then being yanked in the 42nd minute, might as well, like I said, we talked about last podcast, might as well like, kick him in the balls on his way out. Uh, but, you know, like Jota today, I thought played well. He's one of the few players that we have that will go at the defense. And he's not as technically savvy in some ways. You know, some of his passes are not as accurate, you know, that we had the dynamic of for the front three, like last, uh, last two, three years, I guess, if you think about it, but he's one of the few guys that we have that basically takes the ball, puts his head down and just drives at defenses yeah. that kind of at least gives him something different to defend as opposed to, you know, the rotation. But at the same time, we have other players like Shaq that can bring something different. Ox in certain times can bring something different, but I felt, for example, against Real, we waited way too long to put those guys in. I mean, yeah. you put Shaq in, like you're like, hey, here you go, eight minutes. 
make something happen. I don't know if that's yeah. fair to the player as well. I mean, we don't know what happens at practice and why these guys don't get more playing time. And I realize the deficiencies they have in terms of defending and stuff. But when it's clear that we need a plan B or like today where it was very clear that that midfield was gas. We couldn't even yeah. clear the ball and hang on to the ball more than like, you know, five seconds. You have to have, you know, you have to be able to trust these guys to be able to come in. He always talks about trusting the players and stuff like that. I think he's almost like a bit hesitant too, but like I say, I hate to be too overcritical because I know it's a bad help hand that's dealt. Having said that, it doesn't like kind of like exclude him from like, you know, making mistakes either. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly not from getting getting stick for his his decisions like Paul has been on. Like, and by no means, Paul, am I giving you or trying to give you a hard time for your um your criticisms of Klopp because look, the the man has big enough shoulders; he can take it. It's it when he's wrong, he he likes to come out and admit he's wrong and, and take fault for the team. So you're absolutely right in what you're saying. I just I don't know. It's one of them situations where you're like, fuck, you know, come on, Klopp, do do something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he like tactics aside, I just he's been this year has been interesting, man. Like, I feel like I feel like he was he was putting unnecessary pressure on on the team by continually bringing up the fixture list publicly in post game interviews. Like, I felt like he the way that he handled the team in the West Brom loss, I thought was really poor in terms of the way he acted in a critical juncture in that game. Like he's just made a number of very uncharacteristic moves that suggest that he's under a lot of like, you know, psychological pressure on himself or outside stuff. Or, I mean, at that point, maybe, maybe he knew how mom, how ill his mother was and we didn't like, I don't know what it is, but he's just not been, um his typical measured self like we we know him as this gregarious like big personality but i think there's a lot more like measured in, in smart uh approach in the way that he handles things with the team and how he presents himself publicly than a lot of people think or give him credit for and i haven't seen that this year i think a lot has to be said as well for the fact that there was no time off at the end yeah. of our winning season yeah. You know, there, there was no time to regroup. There was no time to let your hair down. There was no time to fucking celebrate, you know. So, I, I, you know, it's just one of them fucking shitty situations where, you know, we're going to go down as history as, as the, the team who won the Premier League and didn't fucking celebrate it. Well, I mean, more than letting the hair down, which I can't freaking do if I wanted to, and I had all the time. Let the your world. mustache down. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Uh, but... I felt like that's what, you know, we talk about like, you know, being, having a system and kind of like working on the system and tweaking it to be able to kind of like keep going at it. I think we just did not have that opportunity. Uh, if you listen to him, like over the years and his like interviews, when he talks about, you know, how they, they improve the team, they almost say, okay, like, you know, we're going to focus on this. I remember like talking about set pieces, for example, when we made a huge jump in set pieces, they almost like dedicated the entire, you know, like the off season to be able to improve in set pieces because that's one thing that they identified as a weakness on the team. And I just think we just did not get that chance. And as other teams adjusted, we were not able to kind of like tweak our system in time. And obviously injuries alone does not help. I mean, let's not forget, despite all this, this team heading into the new year was still on top and ahead 
and looked like it was going to keep going despite these injuries, but it just ran out of battery and didn't really have the legs to keep it going because the system demands legs and we just did not have it. But so with this draw, which it was kind of like an unlucky goal, but to be fair, it was probably well-deserved for Leeds for them to get that goal. Uh, it was going to be like a sneaking by if we won this game 1-0. Where does that leave us for the top four for the Champions League? And we'll kind of like take that conversation to, do we even need a top four? Uh, but let's right. let's Paul, assume... You, Paul, Paul, Paul you take League. this one. You take this one. I'm going to car underneath my bed covers right now. You guys are so good to me. Leave me, with the, <laughs> leave me with the fucking Super League. I'm gonna bail on you guys and go hang out with my boy Patrick in a minute. <laughs> Drink some the, Heineken under a bridge or something. I don't know. Um, the bomb bomb twins. Yep. We can uh, clank some posts together. Um, anyway, uh, like I mean, the Super League. So, I mean, I think we're. No, I know Jamie. You've you hated on principle, and I get that. And I get everybody close to the club, and everybody who's grown up and lives around the Greater Merseyside area knows that it goes against the grain of everything that this club stands for. And I totally respect that. I get it. I understand it. I know where everybody's coming from on the issue. Um, I am choosing to keep an open mind on this until all the facts come out because. I feel like, and I know Tim Eugene's in agreement here, that this is a lot of sides posturing over money uh, at the end of the day. And look, like, I have an issue with this whole, like, yanks out. They've been greedy from the start. This was the long plan all along. They just came in to buy it to make more money. Uh, this is our club, not yours. So first of all, it's not your fucking club. It's owned. Like, that's the thing. This isn't the 50s anymore. Football is big business. And I know that's a problem for a lot of people because I know football started as this grassroots community thing. And for a lot of teams, it still is. But at the level that you're at with Liverpool, if you want to continue to compete, we all, we all chant, we won it six times. If you want to compete at that level, you have to make big money moves. And I, for one, am all for a situation that wrestles that money from UEFA or FIFA in this case, it's UEFA, and brings it back to the clubs. Because here's what's happening. UEFA is continuing to expand the format. They're continuing to line their own pockets. They're continuing to, to add fixtures at a rate that the revenue that they're pulling out to clubs doesn't cover. So these clubs are expected to continue to grow their, their, their um, squad to cover the additional fixtures but the revenue that's in line that's kicking out from UEFA doesn't cover that. And UEFA is really carried by a handful of teams from a revenue standpoint, and it's evenly distributed no matter how much revenue you bring to the table. And that's been happening for years. And that's not fair for a team like Liverpool who wants to climb up, compete with Bayern, compete with Barcelona, compete with Real Madrid every year um, for them to not be getting the share that they're bringing to the table back to be able to put back into the club. So I don't see this as a power grab by 12 teams to bring money and to just continue to line their pockets. I see it as an usurpation of UEFA. Um, and I originally didn't think this was going to happen. I thought it was a negotiating tactic. The, the more I look into it, the more I talk to people that I really respect, the more I think that it may happen. Um, I don't love the format as it is. I'm against the fact that there's no relegation. I'm against the, the format in general with two 10-team leagues. 
but I'm going to wait until all the facts are out. And that's kind of where I'm going to leave it. We're going to, we're, like, like Tamucha said, we're going to do a pod on this tomorrow. David is way more versed in the finances of the teams and, and how this kind of breaks down historically. But I am keeping an open mind on this just because the overarching mission of it, I'm down with. I think you've spoken very well there, Paul. I really do. And I get, look, I'm not on the brink. I'm not one of those that's going to be running out into the streets, burning my Liverpool gear, burning my flags. Um, I have said on numerous occasions today that Bill Shankly would be rolling in his grave. Um, he, he probably is, um, as is all the other team greats. Uh, I've been literally speaking to, to mates back home, Man United fans, Leeds fans, Nottingham Forest fans. And, you know, keeping in mind that, what is it, Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest have won the Champions League more or the Euro- European Cup more than uh, Spurs, Arsenal, Man City. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where I am, I'm totally with you, Paul. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm on the brink of utter sheer madness because... What I find, and, and you're not wrong, it's been going this way for years, decades, some may say. Um, I just find it so disheartening after the year we've all had with COVID that football, as we know it, could potentially be taken away overnight by people in suits with checkbooks bigger than my house. And I just think... That's a sad state of affairs. And and we spoke a wee bit about trickle down, you know, like there's so many, there's four different leagues in, in England, you know, and how many grassroots people have been developed through the Liverpool Academy? Only a handful, you know, the likes of not your best friend, Paul, but Divock Origi, you know, all these players come from small European clubs, you know, that, that, that do make it into the Champions League from time to time. And, you know, I don't know. There's there's many ways to skin this cat, and I know nothing's set in stone just yet. Yeah. And that's and I'm why I'm not burning flags just I'm yet. With you. I do not want to lose the Leicester City. And, I mean, you look at this year, West Ham was on the brink of relegation last year and is now fighting for a top-four spot, you know? Like, I don't right. want to – I don't want to lose those stories. And I think – I think you're right. I think so. I think there's two things from a Liverpool supporter standpoint. There is a portion of our our fan base that no matter what FSG did, they were never going to trust, regardless of what happens. We could win a four, we could win four Champions League titles in five years, and make a move to raise ticket prices, and they'd see there you go, the fucking Yanks. Like Some people just want to watch the world burn, right? There, well, I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a portion of Liverpool that has a natural distrust for Americans in general, and I'm okay with that, and I understand it. Okay, I totally understand it. I think the other thing, and you hit upon this, is right now during this time for people in this world who spent a year apart from loved ones, who's had major job changes, who've struggled financially. The last thing they want to hear about is that the team they love is interested in getting four hundred million dollars guaranteed every year. Yeah. You know, that's the last thing. They're worried about food on the table, kids in college, major job changes. How do I see grandma next month when I haven't seen her in 12 months because of COVID? Those types of real life things. And then this on top of it, from a timing standpoint, I think just hits a lot of people sore. And I totally get that. And I think the other thing is the timing of it all. And I know that the Champions League 
discussion is now going on and, and the, the revamp. Is, it's all been going on. This has all been happening behind the scenes this year. But the thing is, I read a few articles today that, <clears throat> you know, a few people were talking amongst each other behind closed doors. Um, certain members, higher up members of Man United and Juventus, who used to be involved with UEFA and have since quit, they were talking behind closed doors and they were like, oh, yeah, no, everything's going to be fine. Champions League's going ahead, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this statement is made. And it's like, I, I find that maddening. You know what I mean? Like, the 90 minutes of football, regardless of what fan you are, of whatever team, whether it's fucking grassroots Sunday League or whatever, that 90 minutes is so cherished that for, for the whole idea of it to be essentially wiped out in a in a in a, a signature of a pen overnight i just i find it disgusting I, and you know that's the reality of it and and we all know that people in power can can do incredibly powerful things but i jesus don't fuck with my football so man you guys threw a lot to freaking unpack that <laughs> But, and this is why we figured, you know, we would just do like a whole podcast just on this tomorrow. and Because it needs uh, it. Get Dave in there. It doesn't, definitely does. A few things that, you know, to throw my thoughts out there is one, you know, kind of like going off of what you guys were saying. One, I understand what you're saying with like Shankly rolling in his grave. But I bet you he's been rolling for the last 20, 30, 40 years. You're not, not wrong. rolling his grave if he saw that wage bill. Yeah, exactly. Right. And of course, so yeah. That, there's, sadly, there's lots of things, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, part of us is like the romantic part, right? You know, especially like with this club and how it's formed and its values and stuff like that. But the sad and I think uh, fact that some are still in denial is the fact that, yes, this is big business. There's a lot of money. This is not just the club that was that club, you know, when Shaka was in Shaka, like in the 50s and stuff like that. I mean, we're talking about a club that's worth billions of dollars. And I agree with Paul. And not this. I don't think this is only for Liverpool. It might be for Liverpool fans. But this is getting a huge backlash, mainly because of the owners involved in the decision making, especially in UK, because it's, you know, foreign owners. I guarantee you, the backlash, I mean, I don't expect anybody to be still happy about it, but the backlash and the outrage and the impatience of waiting for facts would not be as bad if all the owners were British or, you I, know, like British individuals and stuff. Right. A big part I, of I this take, is because it's oil money, because it's American capitalism and stuff I, like that, which partially it is. But right. a big part of the outrage is coming from that without even listening to why or whatever and i've been reading people like they don't care like they don't want the money going to fsg it doesn't matter somebody this money is going somewhere and it's more than likely it's going to ufa and that's where what they want to keep the money so would we rather have him go to them as opposed to liverpool because at the end of the day i understand it's all about the bottom line these guys are running a business but this is the same business that took this club from about to go bankrupt debt out to his ears and brought them titles, improved the stadium, and all that kind of stuff. So when they do that stuff, kind of like Paul says, it's like, oh, they want to increase the value. It's all about them. Obviously, it's a freaking investment. But the success of the club raises your investment. So it's, you know, it's a good thing. So if you want your owner 
to protect the benefits, you know, for of the club, this is probably what you want. I do not like the format. Trust yeah. me, like the whole relegation and stuff. But I'm I don't know if I'm in the minority, but I still believe this stuff is not going down. There's just way too many moving here's, parts for this to go smoothly. Here's what I hope happens. I think this would be amazing. I think all, it all goes down in a, and they come and like they, the Super League happens, right? And they turn around and they're like, psych, we're going to do the exact same format as the old Champions League. Just instead of the 50% revenue split, we're going to do 10% and the rest <laughs> gets distributed. Like, I mean, I think that would be amazing because it's just, it's essentially like I'm the captain now. You know, like, and everyone talks about how, like, this is a, this is American greed. This is like greedy, big money owners, dude. Like, wouldn't you rather your club go out and get what it's owed? Like, I want, like, I don't want UEFA line in their pockets. Like they've been doing for years, creating the, the league of nations, another league that doesn't give a shit about players. It just adds fixtures. Like, let's go get it. Like, I mean, that's what I like about this. Like, go, go get it. And then like, it's like, to me, this is th like, I want an ownership group that wants to go get the money they're owed. Like, I don't know. I guess I don't see eye to eye with the people who are anti-Yank owners because I'm not like that. Like, obviously, Hicks and Gillette. And you were here. <laughs> well, right. But Hicks and Gillette was a different story for me. Much, much different. <laughs> they, they fucking didn't deliver... Blah, blah, blah. There's, there's many hours of literature you could read about the Hicks and Gillette era. Much better than I could tell you. Um, I just think it's... I, I just think it's a part of... I think there's richer people in America than there are in England. I, like, Alan Sugar is kind of like the, the Donald Trump of England. And he, he had a, a part... He owned... Who was it? Fucking Spurs? I, I, I can't remember. But the... the, the the, there's more money in America than there is in Britain. That's just simple, right? There's more money in Dubai than there is in fucking pretty much anywhere else in the world. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think that shit's a cop out. You know, I think that shit's a cop out. Blaming American owners, um, I really do. I think it's small-minded bullshit. I think, you know, Henry and 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 fucking. The rest of the owners, it is an investment. It is a business. I get that. Football is a business, right? It, but it's much more than a business to the fans. And and with look, football without fans, we all know what that means. We've we've witnessed it all this year. Um, I'd hate to see protests and you know, all that sort of shit that can come with this. I hope it is just a, a fucking angling technique, a, a fucking, uh, a, a way of trying to negotiate with UEFA because the, the bans and stuff that they're talking about, it's scary. It's scary. And, and that goes back to what I'm saying. Like a, if people in suits can change their mind overnight just for the, for the almighty dollar to, to, to take away my football, I honestly think they're, there will be riot in the streets if this does go through. Yeah, like I said, and tomorrow we'll talk a lot more about this and kind of like, kind of like go into the numbers and stuff to kind of because I feel like a lot of the reaction 
is a knee-jerk reaction, especially like yesterday. We didn't even know anything about this. Like, we didn't know any details, and everybody was going like... Have you checked out the website, by the way? There's only two pages. There's only two pages of information on that website. Apparently, there's been a hidden coded message in the in the code that's been deconstructed uh, that, that we've been able to read now of their future plans. So we can go into that tomorrow. Plenty to talk about. Jesus Christ, there's so much to fucking divulge here. Yeah, so take your blood pressure medications tomorrow, people, especially you, you two. <laughs> that, gla- that glass of wine, that glass of wine didn't fucking help at all. Yeah, I don't know how much soup Bickler is going to need tomorrow, but... Uh, <laughs> but going to be me and Bamford under a bridge. <laughs> but yeah, well, like I said, there's Thank so, you, ma'am. so many moving parts, and I... Like I say, I, don't get me wrong. I don't like the I do not like the concept. I don't like the format. But I guess I'm a lot more calmer about this, just because I feel like it is mostly posturing, and these teams can't do without the Premier League. And God knows, Premier League can't do without these teams. Same goes for UFA. At the end of the day, I I personally think what's going to happen is they're going to reach a deal with Champions League. These teams are going to get more of what they want. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be guaranteed spots or just by giving more spots to, you know, like the Premier League or whatever the case might be. They're going to get a bigger piece of the pie and then they're going to come back. They're going to be like, oh, we listen to the fans and the best of football, blah, blah, blah. And basically, this is just rich people fighting over who gets richer faster. Uh, while we think we have an impact of some sort. And at the end, they'll come and give us like a cookie. They were like, oh, yeah, because you guys yelled. We had to like kind of like sit back at the table and decide all these things. And stuff. I really think that's what's going to happen. It's just like more patronizing of the fans than anything else. I just like and I, I just don't understand the ridiculous overreaction of things. And like we talked to, there's like a bunch of different reasons, which we'll delve into tomorrow. So enough teasing about the tomorrow's podcast. But let's just say that I'm right, which I usually am. Uh, <laughs> and there's the Champions League next year. Uh, with today's results, I mean, I feel like there's still, now that this team doesn't have midweek and stuff like that, we'll be able to focus games and have that energy uh, kind of stored up to play our style. I still feel like it is well within reach, knowing the fixtures Leicester, and especially Leicester and Chelsea have ahead. Would you guys agree to my optimism, which does not happen very often? So just jump on board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm very, I'm really, I don't know what to do right now. Like, uh, <laughs> very, very weird for me because I'm going to be the lone pessimist now. And that feels like a real lonely spot for me. Uh, yes. I agree with you that we undoubtedly have the easier run out, right? <clears throat> Here's my thing What have we seen from this team? that leads you to believe that we're going to pull out from the tailspin and regularly score, especially in the first half. You cut me deep, Paul. See, this is where <laughs> we can have nice things and optimism, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's, he's fucking right, though, isn't he? Jesus Christ, you're right, Paul. Don't say that. Um, yeah, I mean, I do – I fancy our chances against Newcastle. But um, only because they've been doing us favors left, right, and center, beating Everton. Trivia question. Another trivia answer. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. Paul's, Paul's probably right. 
so the one time you are optimistic, Kamuchin, you get shat on. <laughs> yeah, that's just unbelievable. But that's, that's how it goes. That's twenty twenty one for you. <laughs> yeah, that's the year in a nutshell. Well, gentlemen, <laughs> thank you for joining me, and thank you to all those listening. Uh, I think we teased it enough that we're gonna sit down and like talk about uh, the the Super League and everything tomorrow. Uh, bring your wine, bring your soup, uh, and listening to that episode as well. <laughs> As opposed, as always, oh man, this is going to be best ending to a podcast ever. (laughs) Turn on, (laughs) tune in, and cop up with the American Scouser podcast. Yes. Thank you all for listening. See you guys soon.